0: Hey, what you're about to listen to is the podcast version of what was a live radio segment on KPFA. Consequently, when you hear us give out a call-in number, you don't want to call it. If you're listening to this as a podcast, it is already too late, and nobody on the other end of that phone number is gonna have any useful answers for you. All right, let's go to this week's Corona Calls. We're going to turn, as we do most weeks at this time, to new developments in the world of COVID-19. Our guest is Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Good morning, Dr. Swartzberg. Good morning. Uh, Just in time for the holidays, we have a subvariant that is racing towards the head of the pack, HV.1. Uh, now comprising per the, the CDC's now cast about one-quarter of new cases in the United States. What do we know about it?
1: Well, it's a close cousin to XBB.1.5, and that is good news because the updated vaccine that's available for everybody now will, should cover it very well. I say that because there's been a lot of concern in the, that we've read about in the news, and certainly scientists are very very interested in some other subvariants that are found in very, very small numbers that aren't really very close relatives of the XBB family, and they would not be covered likely as well, uh, but fortunately, they're not exploding. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're not even growing a great deal, so... The good news is that what we're seeing in terms of new sub-variants like H- HV.1, LV.1, and others, um, is that they're very closely related to what we have available to us in terms of the vaccine.
0: Any signs that any of them uh, produce a more severe form of illness or a less severe form of illness?
1: Right. We always look at um, that question in terms of what is the virulence? How? What is the property? Are there any properties of this new subvariant that would make people more sick? And other good news, there's no evidence that it does anything differently to us than all of the other subvariants in that family. So in terms of its ability to escape the immunity we have from the new vaccine—that's good news—and the other good news is that it doesn't appear to make us any sicker. Now, um, we always worry about that, of course, uh, but we haven't seen anything like that. The last time we saw something that really grabbed a hold of us and really caused an awful lot of serious disease and death was Delta, and that was seems like ancient history now.
0: Right. There's no, like from an evolutionary point of view, there's no advantage to making people sicker. That would just be an incidental byproduct of something that, that made the virus more contagious.
1: Yeah. You know, that's a ver- really interesting question. And um, there, there is an advantage for organisms, pathogens to make us sick. Because if it makes us cough a lot, we're going to spread a lot more virus. If it causes, if the pathogen causes bad diarrhea, it's going to lead to a lot more organisms in the environment. So there, there is an advantage for organisms to make us sick. With with COVID, uh, SARS-CoV-2, the virus causes COVID. The what it found is a really effective strategy was to shed when we aren't symptomatic. That means we're infected with the virus, we're producing enough virus to spread to other people, but we don't even know it, so we go out and conduct our lives like we always have and infect a lot of other people. That was a key strategic um, evolutionary advance for this particular virus. Making us sicker, that is making us cough a lot more, really was not terribly important to this virus. Surely making us mildly Ill like a cold, and something that would give us a cough would help the virus spread. Uh, But we're not seeing anything to suggest that there's a selective advantage for something that makes us so sick that it throws us into bed so we can't even get out of bed. That's not good for the virus because it means we're not going to be around a lot of other people. And... If it makes us so sick that we wind up in the hospital, that's not good for the virus because, again, we're not going to be around a lot of other people. So from an evolutionary standpoint, one could argue that this virus has really hit its sweet spot in terms of
0: being able to shed before we become symptomatic. Speaking of Dr. John Swartzberg, he is here to take your questions. The phone number 1-800-958-9008. That's 1-800-958-9008 for your Corona calls. Uh, Let's start with a couple from the inbox. We had a listener writing who did not sign her name at the bottom of the letter. Uh, So I will just read excerpts. Uh, She just lost her mother who she had been the, the primary caregiver for and writes in underlined letters. I am grieving, exhausted, and not getting much sleep. And she is wondering if the lack of sleep uh, would make it hard for the new COVID booster and flu shot, neither of which she's gotten yet to take, if she should wait until she's a little bit more rested to have a proper immune response to the vaccines.
1: Well, I'm I'm really sorry for the, the listener who wrote in for her loss Um, and certainly understand her grief and inability to get a good night's sleep. I can only talk in generalities um, about sleep and immunity. We know that people who uh, are sleep deprived, their immune systems may not be as robust in terms of response to pathogens or vaccines. That's a very general statement studies that have looked at influenza and COVID in terms of how well we would respond to a vaccine if we had a lot less sleep. So the answer to her question, I think, is that it's like so many things with when to get a vaccine. It's the timing of it. And you want to have maximum protection when the virus is circulating at at a very large amount or if you're going to be traveling, where you're going to be likely exposed more to the virus, you're going to want to have maximum protection. So you're going to want to time the vaccine around that. Timing it around how well you're sleeping, right now I would think is a more theoretical issue, or if not theoretical, it's more of an issue about it doesn't weigh heavily on the scales in terms of the timing. More practically, what I'm talking about is that COVID is increasing in different parts of the United States now, not dramatically. We're still, the lid is pretty well on it. We have about 15,000 hospitalizations a week, and that's been holding steady. Still a lot of hospitalizations. But different parts of the country are starting to show an uptick in cases. And we know from our history now with this virus that Thanksgiving, the Christmas holidays, Christmas, New Year's, so everything after the end, toward the end of this month, we see a big increase in in SARS-CoV-2 infections in humans. So I think that the compelling issue t- for her is to get vaccinated now, because it's going to take a couple of weeks for maximum protection from that vaccine, and we're, that's going to take us to right after Thanksgiving. And so she's really going to want to be protected around that time and going into the Christmas times, even if she's psychologically, just not up to any kind of celebrations, Uh, there's gonna be more virus likely circulating. So I would get vaccinated now and and not let the issue about sleep weigh too heavily on her.
0: Right, it struck me that that, uh, any immune function issues that might arise from the grief and exhaustion uh, also argue for getting the protection of the vaccine quickly. Because to the extent her immune system isn't operating at 100%, it it means she has fewer defenses if she does get sick. Absolutely. Good point. All right. Uh, Let's take our first caller. Jeffrey is on the line in Oakland. Good morning, Jeffrey.
1: Yeah, hello. Uh, I recently had muscle aches all over for a month or two. I think it's a disease called PMR. I stopped taking statins. That did not help. I took prednisone and within four hours, I was totally symptom free. So my question is, I'm due for a booster in December. If I'm still on prednisone, will that affect whether I should or should not take the booster? And my second question is, will taking the booster trigger a recurrence of the PMR symptoms? Got it, Jeffrey. Um, sorry you developed uh, PMR. That stands for polymyalgia rheumatica, so you can certainly see why we call it PMR instead of polymyalgia rheumatica. Um, the good news is that it responds, this this problem, this rheumatologic problem responds dramatically to corticosteroids, to prednisone, for example. And you've had a good response to it, and I'm delighted to hear that. Typically, the dosage of... Um, prednisone necessary to control PMR is relatively low. And we've seen that people who are taking 20 milligrams or less of prednisone tend to respond very well to the vaccine. So I think that the issue for you is that being on prednisone, corticosteroids, a broad name for the prednisone, um, does put you at increased risk if you get infected for, from having for struggling more with the virus than somebody not on prednisone. So that argues very much for getting the vaccine. In terms of how well you will respond, again, if you're 20 milligrams or less, the the data suggests that you're going to respond very well. If you're on more than 20 milligrams, um, you may not respond quite as well, but you still, but in that case, you would need even more of the protection from the vaccine. So I think what what I would suggest Uh, generally speaking, not specifically for you, this is between you and your doctor, of course, is to have a discussion about am I on the lowest dose of prednisone necessary to control PMR because that's critical. And once you've answered that question, then I would go ahead and get the vaccine to protect you from what is likely around the corner with SARS-CoV-2 increasing. Your last question about the booster is that there's no evidence that the booster shot, and it's not really a booster, it's, we're, we're trying to not call it a booster, we're trying to call it, we're calling it a updated vaccine because it's not boosting your previous vaccines, it's giving you something new. There's no evidence that this updated vaccine will, could trigger PMR.
0: Now, for, for people more generally in the situation of, of having to be on uh, immunosuppressant drugs for whatever reason, my understanding is some people are, are getting additional rounds of the vaccine just to make sure the immune response takes.
1: Right. Not not so much in Jeffrey's case because um, prednisone is not going to have that profound of an effect, but people who are on really heavy-duty immunosuppression... We, may, we likely would vaccinate them much more frequently.
0: Okay. So uh, the answer is, if anything, <laughs> talk to your doctor about getting more vaccine. <laughs> Don't hold off on the thing you need to stay safe. 1-800-958-9008 for your corona calls. That's 1-800-958-9008. Here's another question from the inbox, Dr. Swartzberg. Uh, WF writes, One of my family members had COVID a few months ago and now is suffering from colitis, which she said her doctors attributed to having had COVID. Another family member recently had COVID and then suffered a stroke. Again, he says his doctors are attributing the stroke to having COVID. Can we know for sure if there is a causal relationship between my family members' bouts of COVID and their subsequent health problems?
1: No, we can't know for sure that there's a relationship in in medicine, like in like in life, we always look for causality when something happens, and then something happens after that. We try to look for some link between those two things, and that's been very helpful in terms of understanding an awful lot of uh, of our things about our health. Um, with colitis and with stroke, uh, there's no clear link between having had covid and developing these things it doesn't mean it would not occur but we're not seeing a clear link between these these events contrary I thought there was
0: a, a well documented increased incidence of cardiovascular issues including stroke after covid illness
1: absolutely what I, what I was I was just going to go on and say um, we do see after having had covid up to a year and maybe a little bit longer, a higher instance of stroke and cardiovascular disease. Whether this is due directly to the virus itself, the infection that we had, or whether it's due to uh, an inflammatory response triggered by that virus, that's persisting is, is really unclear at this point. Um, with colitis, there's a hypothetical reason why there may be an association between the virus and, and, and inflammation of the colon. Um, we know the virus is in the GI tract. We know it's shed through the feces. We know that there's evidence that the virus can be found in some of the cells in our gastrointestinal tract. So there is a biological plausibly plausible reason for the vi- uh, an episode of COVID triggering colitis. Whether it truly does or not, is it's got a much bigger question mark associated with that. So bottom line is, it's possible, um, WF wrote about this, and it's possible, WF, that um, colitis could be triggered by the COVID, a stroke or heart attack could be triggered by COVID. Um, We just know that there appears to be an association.
0: Right, almost everything operates in terms of probabilities when you get down to a, a specific illness it is hard to attribute it to anything that is not the direct and proximate cause.
1: It really is. And so what we do is, for example, I heard from somebody a few days ago about getting the COVID vaccine, and then three days later they got shingles. And are they associated? Well, the only way we can really answer that is to look at how many people after the COVID vaccine get shingles versus how many people in the random population at any one point in time within a week or three weeks or whatever period we're looking at, would develop shingles. And we're not seeing a particularly different, a difference in those two groups. Um, with cardiovascular disease, we did see as, as you referred to, and I was talking about, we did see an increase up to about a year and maybe longer with heart attacks and strokes. With colitis, it's not clear that there is is if there's more likely to get colitis after uh, COVID, versus just the random number of people in the population who do develop it.
0: 1-800-958-9008 to put your COVID questions to Dr. Swartzberg. Um, Let's go to another question from the inbox. There is no name at the bottom of this. Uh, This person was writing to ask about off-label use of metformin combined with Paxlovid to treat COVID. Uh, in order to both reduce symptoms and reduce the likelihood of long COVID.
1: Yeah, it's it's really an important question the um, listener is asking. We we know that um, we have pretty we have very good evidence that uh, taking Paxlovid with an acute case of COVID does reduce your the severity of the acute case of COVID, but it also reduces the risk of developing long COVID. There was that really intriguing paper um, that was came out, I think, it, toward the beginning of the summer that uh, showed that people who took metformin had about a 40% lower risk of developing long COVID, which was pretty dramatic. We need to see more data to, to support that at this point. There are some people, some doctors I know are are suggesting that people take Paxlovid plus metformin Uh, If they get acute COVID, if they're particularly at high risk for having a bad outcome from the acute COVID, which would be Paxlovid, and whether they're very concerned about developing long COVID. Other doctors, I would put myself in this camp, are saying, I'd sure like to see more data to confirm that before making that a general recommendation.
0: Why? What's the downside to uh, adding metformin to someone you would already prescribe Paxlovid to?
1: Not a lot. Um, metformin, we have an enormous amount of experience with. It's it's very inexpensive. It's been used for years for people with diabetes. <clears throat> um, so we know the side effects. Mainly they're gastrointestinal. The problem is that with Paxlovid, that the main side effects there are a bad taste in your mouth and gastrointestinal upset. So if it would mean that people who took the combination um, would have to stop the Paxlovid, because they got too many GI side effects, that would be a potential problem. We also, um, during somebody's acute illness, um, I've often found that not confusing the picture by adding a, a lot of drugs to that person that, that have a question mark in terms of their efficacy at this point uh, is a good idea because it's going to be difficult to ferret out how much of their, if they're not doing well, how much of their not doing well is due to the illness they got, COVID, versus the two medications are on as opposed to one.
0: Oh, that's interesting. It makes them like more diagnostically complex.
1: It, can, it raises questions. So you, um, doctors are so used to this, particularly with patients in the hospital who are on so many medications and then the patient may not be doing well and why aren't they doing well? And there's just question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Keeping things simple, um, certainly, using medications when they're critical, even if it's a lot of medications, is is wise. But um, always keeping in mind that you want to have good data that whatever you're p- putting in, whatever you're recommending somebody take, you always want to have good data that they, that, it, that the data supports that this is going to help the person and not hurt them.
0: Right. Based on the data you have, I guess the question is, Metformin has shown these very promising results in terms of reducing the incidence of long COVID. Uh, Paxlovid seems to show some effectiveness on that front as well, at least for older people. Are we going to get the data on combining the two of them? Or, you know, like... Paxlovid we got the data on because there was a pharmaceutical company that had just created the drug and wanted to cash in on their research and development, so they financed the study. Metformin is this drug that has existed for decades and decades and does not cost very much and does not make very much profit per pill. Is it just going to live in this kind of uh, data void created by our for-profit healthcare system?
1: Yeah, um, good point. The, the, The good news is that there are studies ongoing with metformin to look at the question that uh, the listener asked, that is, would it reduce the risk of long COVID? So there's money supplied, but this is through the NIH grants supplied to look at that. There's also studies going on with people with long COVID and the role of metformin. So we should have we should be getting some data out within the next, uh, probably I would guess within the middle of next year. Bottom line right. to this question is metformin tends to be a pretty quite safe drug. Um, as, as we were talking about, lots of experience with it, not expensive. Um, so I think for the listeners, this is something to talk over with your physician about the pros and cons of adding that to Paxlovid if you get a, if you get acute COVID.
0: All right. Um, well, that's a, a helpful note to end on. Like a lot of things we discuss, probably a, a low stakes decision with a little bit of uncertainty. Dr. Swartzberg, thanks for spending another Monday with us. You're welcome. Thank you very much. All right, that does it for this week's edition of Corona Calls. If you want to send in a question for next week's, you can email coronacalls at kpfa.org. Or tune in live to call in live. Usually we air Monday mornings right after 7.30 news headlines on KPFA 94.1 FM in the Bay Area or kpfa.org anywhere in the world. We put a little bit of extra work into repackaging this live segment as a podcast because it feels like the information is useful to a lot of people. We ought to make it accessible through as many channels as possible. You can help us get the word out by rating and reviewing it in whatever app you're using to listen. And if you want to pitch in some cash, we wouldn't say no. We always take donations at kpfa.org. I appreciate it. If you mentioned Corona calls, when you make your pledge, my name is Brian Edwards Teekert. I hope you have a great week, stay well.